0: Well, it is so good to be back here with you. There's no place like home. I have missed you guys this past month as uh, I've taken some time to uh, be with my family. And our elders graciously allowed me to do this, to have a little bit of a a break, to also dream and plan about the future of our church. But there's no place like home. I love being back here with you. Uh, I have really missed you guys over the past month or so. And uh, I don't say it a whole lot. I don't say it as much as I should, but uh, we have an incredible Staff around here. Uh, They have worked so hard this past uh, uh, four weeks. Yeah, give them a hand, please. Our staff has just worked tirelessly for uh, this next season in the life of our church, which is perhaps the most exciting season uh, yet for us as, as a church. As we've already talked a little bit about uh, over the past few minutes, uh, we are about six weeks away from launching our second location on the west side. And, and this past Friday night, uh, I had the chance to be a part of our vision night out there. And the place was packed. The worship center was full. The nursery was full. And uh, it was just an incredible... Incredible uh, opportunity to see what it's going to be like to, to have a Crossroads campus in that part of our community. And uh, as I pulled onto the campus that evening, if, if you were there, uh, I talked a little bit about this that night. Uh, I just had this moment where I, where I imagined and, and I began uh, getting excited about all the lives and all the generations of families that are going to be changed forever right on that campus in the future uh, because of what God has been doing through uh, Crossroads through you and, and so if, if you want to know more about Crossroads West I want to encourage you to check out our next vision night that will take place on our Crossroads West campus off Bismarck Avenue and that will be August 18th at 6:30 p.m. It's a Friday night child care is provided. if you haven't been out there to check out our West Campus uh, that's going to be a great opportunity for you to do so okay? Now, uh, as Daryl said a minute ago, we're, we're starting a new series this weekend called The, the Story Continues, and uh, whether you know it or not, our, our church is, is five decades old. This year represents our 50th anniversary. We were started in 1967, and so this is a huge moment for us as a church, and, and we want to appropriately celebrate all that God has done through this church in the past, Now, whenever you look throughout Scripture, at a certain point in time, God told his people to set the 50th year aside for something really special. And and so throughout this series, over the course of of the next five weeks, we're going to look at what that 50th year was all about and, and why God said that it was a special time, why it was a special year. Now, the writers throughout the Bible refer to that year as the year of Jubilee, okay? And so we're going to understand what this year was all about and, and make some parallels with us as a church as our story continues here. And so We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to dive right in. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It's about the third book in, in the front of your Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible in the chair right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it should be on one of those uh, tables as you walked in a minute ago. We're we're going to pick up in Leviticus uh, chapter 26, okay? Now, as you're turning there, to, to understand the context of what's taking place, we gotta do a little bit of a history and number study, okay? Now, the Jewish people, sometimes we might refer to them as the Jews or the Israelites or God's people, uh, they, they, had a pretty, they had a pretty tough time at different points in their story. Perhaps one of the darkest chapters of their lives was when they were enslaved in a place called Egypt. They they were slaves, they were in bondage over in Egypt, and they pleaded and prayed that God would deliver them and that he would release them and that they would experience freedom yet again. And so eventually God heard their prayer, sent a man by the name of Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And, And when they left Egypt, they then wandered around the wilderness or the desert for about four decades. Now, they camped during this time. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, camping for 40 years? By show fans, anybody, anybody actually love camping? Anybody actually intend to camp, right? Yeah, I, I didn't camp that much growing up. Do you know why? Because my mom and dad loved me, <laughs> all right? I mean, there's a reason whenever we say happy camper, it's usually with a little bit of sarcasm. You ever met a happy camper? All right. And so this was a tough time for the Israelites. It it was hard for them. And and so during this season of camping and wandering, God pulled this guy by the name of Moses aside. And he said, hey, look, here's some things that that I need you and your people to follow in order for this relationship to keep going well between you and, and me. First thing is this, uh, every seven days, I want you to set that day aside to do nothing. I just want you to rest. That day is called the Sabbath, and to this day, it's the seventh day. Now, throughout Scripture, the number seven usually is symbolic for wholeness or perfection. It's referred to as God's number, okay? Okay. And so God takes it one step further with Moses and says, okay, now for six years in a row, I want the Israelites to, to plant and to work really hard. But then on that seventh year, I want the land to just rest and, and for the Israelites to be reminded that I am their true provider. And so if that number seven represents wholeness and perfection, and the Israelites were called to set certain times aside to rest... That, that time was intentional to be reminded of who God is and, and who we are. And, and so take the seventh Sabbath year, so that would be seven times seven years. Seven times seven is 49, right? Good, you passed math class, that's good. One year after that, which is the 50th year, God said, that's the year of Jubilee. This was a time for the Jewish people to reflect back on the dark chapter of being enslaved and to be grateful for the freedom that they had because of what God had done. And and so here's what God says about the year of Jubilee. Here's a promise he gives them. He says, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. And so this 50th year was all about remembering God's deliverance, that he rescued them. Now here's the thing the year of Jubilee, it was all about knowing God more, it was all about getting closer to their creator. And so what we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to discover what this really looks like for us, okay? What what does it really look like to to know God more, to know our creator on a deeper level? I want you to know this series isn't going to be about knowing more about God, okay? I mean, there's a difference between knowing Jesus and just merely knowing about Jesus. And, And at times it's tough for us to decipher between the two because they're so similar, now, I'm a big country music fan. I don't know if you are or not. If you hate country music, you're probably going to hate heaven, too, okay? I mean, I just, I love it, and uh, I want you to imagine with me for just a minute that uh, one evening I'm watching a documentary about Garth Brooks, okay? Now, on this documentary, suppose I, I'm probably going to learn about where he was born and raised, his hobbies, and, and what were different turning points in his career. If it's a good documentary, I'm probably going to learn about his family, right, I mean, a documentary is successful if it tells the story of the individual with accurate facts and figures, and and so I would probably walk away having watched that show knowing more about Garth Brooks, but just because I know a lot about him and I have accurate information and I internalize facts, that doesn't mean that I actually know him or that he knows me, right? I mean, how creepy and weird would it be if I saw him out in public and I ran up to him and I said, hey, Garth, you, you never texted me back the other day, you still coming over for that cookout? I mean, he's probably gonna be like, who, who in the world is this? He'd probably think I was some creepy you know, celebrity stalker or something. You see, there's a difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. And you see, many of us, we, we come to a service like this every single week and we learn a lot of information about God, we Kind of memorize the script of things regarding Jesus, what to say, what not to say. And you see, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we don't see church much different than just a documentary about God. Where we learn more about him and yet, we never really make it personal. We never really internalize, it. we never really own it. You see, there, there's this tendency to confuse knowledge for intimacy. And so this series is going to be all about taking steps to know God more, to be closer uh, to Him. And so today we're we're going to take our first step with this. Uh, If you're following along, I want you to jump to the first book in the Bible uh, called Genesis. Genesis. Okay, we're going to be in chapter 18. It's just a couple uh, books over if you're in Leviticus right now. Uh, Genesis is the first book. We're going to be in chapter 18. And uh, we're, we're going to learn about a guy by the name of Abraham. Okay, so this is before the time of Moses. This is before the, uh, the, the Jews were even enslaved over in Egypt. and And Abraham was this man that God selected and used to kind of spread humanity throughout the globe and to advance civilization and and so we're told that, that whenever God selected Abraham, he, he said, hey, go, and I, I'm going to lead you to this, pl- uh, this place to start a new nation. And, and Abraham at the time didn't know where uh, this was going to be located, but, but Abraham, hearing that voice from God, just said, okay, uh, consider it done. I, I will follow you. And so Abraham does that. He takes all of his family with him. Now, the scene that we're going to pick up with today, all right, he and his wife Sarah are about 100 years old, okay, and an angel of the Lord had appeared to them and told them that they were going to expect a child, that, that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was going to get pregnant. Can you imagine that? I mean, how would you react if, if your grandmother or great-grandmother called you up and said, hey, I've got, some, I've got some big news. I mean, nobody passes out birth control at the nursing home, right? And so they laughed and they mocked God because it was just so ridiculous, And so as the angels were leaving that day, and check out uh, verse 16 in chapter 18, here's what we read. When the the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And so right here, we, we learn that for God to keep his promise to Abraham and to bless this new nation that he's gonna father, there's a certain city, Sodom and Gomorrah, it needed to be wiped out because it was so vile, wicked, and evil. And that's why God said this in, in verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. people pleaded for for Sodom and Gomorrah to to really get what they deserved. Now the consequences of this city's immorality had literally affected generations of people. It was was harming these people that God had created and that he loved. This city, their sin was defined by defaming the image of God and and passivity. It was outward rebellion towards him. And so right before the Lord and his entourage leave uh, Abraham, take a look at what happened in, in verse 22. All right, the men turned away and went towards Sodom. So the angels do that. But we read Abraham remained standing before the Lord, he remained standing before the God of all creation. <laughs> I mean, here you have Abraham patiently waiting to have this honest conversation with God about something. He he wanted to be heard about what he was about to do to this city because he had some family members living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He had a dog in this fight. So that's why he says this in verse 23. Then Abraham approached him, God, and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And the reality is Abraham couldn't help but, but see that this was a city full of broken people, real lives who had simply lost their way and blown up some of the most important parts of their life so as Abraham pleads with the Lord it it sounds it sounds a lot like a child negotiating with his mom or dad after getting grounded all right trust me I know from experience on this one and so here's here's what Abraham says to God next in verse 24 he says hey God what if there are 50 righteous people in the city I mean, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. You you wouldn't actually do that, God, would you? Kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you not not be the judge of all the earth and, and do what is right here? And so Abraham reminds God of who he is And in verse 26, God responds by saying If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom I'll spare the whole place for their sake Then Abraham spoke up again Now that I have been so bold as to ask you, Lord I can't believe I'm going here, God Though I am nothing but dust and ashes I'm a broken man I don't deserve to be having this conversation with you right now what if the number of the righteous, Abraham says, is, is five less than 50? Will you really destroy the whole city for the lack of, of five people? And so God says, you know what? If, if I find 45 righteous people there, I won't destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, well, what if there are only 40 people? I mean, for 40 righteous people, will you destroy it? He said, for the sake of 40, I, I won't destroy it. I mean, this is kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, because it's like the, the more Abraham is aware of the people that he's talking about, the, the more desperate he becomes, okay, and the more he realizes, you know what, it's probably not all that likely I'm going to find 50 people, let alone 45, 40, 30 This reminds me of a game that uh, I used to play with my siblings when we were growing up. Every August, uh, my parents would drag us to the Kentucky State Fair there in Louisville, all right? And uh, as we were pulling into the parking lot, we would always say, okay, whoever can count the, the most amount of mullets before we leave wins at the end of the night. All right, now, if you've ever been to the Kentucky State Fair, if you don't know what that's like, just go to a local Walmart, all right? And uh, uh, I, you just lost count of how many mullets you had seen. And so pretty soon, it wasn't all that challenging. And so we kind of changed the game a little bit and made it go like this, because we realized it was a bigger challenge to identify the amount of people who didn't have mullets at the Kentucky State Fair, all right? And so it's like Abraham says right here in this context, hey, God, if if I find 50 people without mullets, will you spare the city? You know what, will 45 do it, will 30? And he keeps going down and down and down until he gets to the number 10. And here's, here's how this dialogue ends. Verse 32, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What, God, what, what if 10 can be found there? Are there really 10 people at the Kentucky State Fair without mullets? He answered, for the sake of 10, I won't destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And then it says Abraham just returned home. Now, this scene is actually a picture of how God wants to communicate and interact with us. Well, let's be real for just a minute, all right? It's easy for us to put a guy like Abraham in a different category than us today, we tend to think of the men and women throughout scripture, that of someone who, who had some supernatural ability or power, or they're some kind of superhero, and they had something that, that maybe we don't today. But I want you to realize, and don't miss this, that, that Abraham is not the point nor the hero of this story right here. Like, this is all about who God is and, and what it looks like for us as his people to take one step closer to him. And so the one takeaway I want us to identify from this story goes like this. Prayer changes us more than it changes God. Our prayer changes us more more than it changes God. Now, prayer is not some magic formula that we use to kind of get what we want. Sometimes we, we pray as if it's all about God submitting to us rather than us surrendering to him, all right? Now, this past uh, Thursday night, uh, I was given the responsibility to take our two oldest kids, John Ryman and Vera, to the toys or, local Toys R Us to return a uh, birthday gift that Vera received last month on her fourth birthday from my parents. It was a uh, little karaoke machine, and uh, I didn't have the receipt. My mom didn't leave it with us. And so, as I'm there at the customer service counter at Toys R Us, uh, I didn't know how much money we would get back. Once the guy scanned the karaoke machine, I was surprised when he said, Well, since you don't have the receipt, I can just give you in store credit. And it looks like you're going to have $53 to spend here in the store. $53. I mean, I thought the thing was maybe worth like $15. $53. And so he gave me this gift card. And I was given the assignment to go and either get another karaoke machine or another present that Vera wanted. But the more I thought about it, the more I remembered how annoying and obnoxious that karaoke machine was, And I thought to myself, you know, it's been a long time since I've bought anything for me. And, you know, Vera ought to just be grateful for who she is, I mean, you know, the fact that I'm her dad. I mean, me being her dad is a good enough birthday gift in itself, you know what I'm saying? And, and so as we're walking through the store, I'm just a little bit conflicted because I know that that $53 is really for her to spend. It's gonna be a gift, but I'm just having this kind of tension, this conversation going back and forth in my mind as we're walking through aisles when eventually God shows me the remote control aisle and there is a helicopter remote control for $49.99. It's in my price range, a couple different colors of it. And, and so I decided to buy it. I justified in my mind, but, but I'm really smart, okay? Because here's what I did. I got the three different colors that it came in. I put them down on the ground. And I said, hey, Vera, why don't you pick out the color that you think we should get here? <laughs> yeah, and so a few minutes later, after I bought the helicopter, when I got home and I got the death stare from my wife, like what in the world did you just do? I said back to Savannah, I said, well, Vera picked it out. This, is, this, is, this, this was the one that she wanted, right, Vera? And in that moment, Vera realized that she had been manipulated by her father, so her dad could get what he wanted. Yeah, you ever done that before? <laughs> now I wish I'm not—I guess—really all that excited to tell you this, but sometimes when I pray, it, it, it's not—it's not much different. When I want or I need something, I all of a sudden make a case for it in my mind and I justify why that's the case. And, and all of a sudden, the script of my prayer begins with a few just formalities and a few nice gestures towards God. And then all of a sudden, I'm saying, God, can, 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 you, give, can you give me this? I need that. And, but you see, prayer is that moment where we realize that, that it's not God who needs to change, it's us, it's you. And it's me. And so right now, I just wanna throw out some questions for us to reflect upon this next week that hopefully will trigger some good conversations between you and God, that the first one goes like this, okay? What keeps you from praying? What keeps you from praying? Do you pray because you feel like you have to more than you want to? I think some of us just need to be given permission to pray. I mean, the most common things that, that interrupt communication between our creator and, and us, are feelings of guilt, shame, and, and fear that's the result of something in our past, something that we've done or something that's been done to us. All right, when Jesus asked about how to pray, take a look at, at what, he, what he tells his disciples. He says this, and when you pray, Matthew chapter six, it's a biography on the life of Jesus, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and out on the street corners to be seen by others. It's a show for them. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your, what is that? Father. Pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he's gonna reward you. And let me just tell you, that this is a father who won't manipulate you. You see, Jesus knew how easy it is for us to to use prayer as a way for us to show off. So why did he say, go into your closet, do it in secret? Well, because he's really smart and, and he knows that the moment we try to pray to impress others, we totally miss the point of having a conversation with God to begin with. You see, nothing makes prayer more empty and more meaningless than when we turn an intimate conversation into a public spectacle. You see, Jesus is far more interested in our honesty than our formality. He cares more about our sincerity than our eloquence. This is why Jesus specifically referred to God as, as our Father. He, he, could have, he could have used a lot of different illustrations to describe who God is. He could have said, you know, pray to the general, pray to the priest, or, or pray, to, you know, pray, pray to the man in charge, pray to the king. No, no, he says Father. In fact, that word Father in the Greek is a term of endearment. And it literally means Daddy. <laughs> That's the closeness that your Creator wants to have with you. Here's the second question. Who are you becoming because of how you are praying? Who are you becoming because of how you are praying? You see, what you say when you pray says more about who you are and how you view God. It says more more about all that than you realize. Uh, Abraham's character was revealed the moment he took his concern for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, to God. The biggest miracle that happens when we pray is that the creator God of the entire universe is actually listening to us. He actually hears what we say. You see, the more specific you are with your prayers, the more you're going to see God at work in your life. One pastor over in uh, Korea, he said it like this, God does not answer vague prayers. (laughs) Each week, as I prepare to uh, stand up here and teach and and, uh, talk about life with you, I always Obviously, spend a lot of time in, in prayer, but, but one thing specifically that I pray about is that God would first do in me what, what He wants to do in you. Because the reality is, if I can't teach from example, then I'm not worth listening to, I'm not worth following. And so, as I've been preparing for this series for the past several weeks, I've just been praying, God, would you draw me closer to you? What, what does it look like for me to know you more? And, and honestly, for about a week or so, n- nothing was happening. I just felt distant and far away. And it was kind of frustrating if I can be, if I can be really honest with you. This past week I received an interesting phone call in my office out of the blue and I picked up the phone, uh, somebody from this church and, and she said, you know, I'm I'm just going to get right to it. I could tell she was a little bit nervous about what she was going to share with me. And she said, you know, for, for about the past six months, I've, I've been holding something against you. I said, well, what is it? She said, you were in a public setting, you, you may not even remember this, but, but over six months ago, you-, you-, you were at a party and I heard you say something that, that just, it-, it made me think less of you. And I gotta be honest with you, I- I've-, I've been upset at you about what you said. And you know what, she was exactly right. What I said was uncalled for and I asked for her forgiveness. And, and by the way, do-, do you know what you call what she did with me in that moment, integrity? She brought the offense to my face. She she didn't say, you know, I've been talking to 10, 15 people about this, and they all agree with me. No, she said, hey, I've got this offense against you. I think you did wrong, and and I just have to get it off my chest. And, And she was exactly right, and she didn't know it at the time. But in that moment, some sin in my life got exposed that I had completely overlooked. And come to find out, that was the one thing that was keeping me from knowing God more, from feeling closer to him. And so, what does it look like for you to pray for something specific? Now be careful for what you pray for, though, because it could lead to an uncomfortable conversation, okay? Don't don't be surprised when God shows up and, and He answers and He answers your, your your prayers. Here's the third thing. Would you still pray even if you didn't like the answer? All right, when life doesn't go your way, when a chapter of your story takes an unexpected turn, how, how do you respond? All right, one writer in the Bible was a guy by the name of Paul and and he planted a bunch of churches during the first century and he would write letters to these churches and it makes up about the second half of the Bible. And in one of these letters, he gets really vulnerable and open and talks about this pain that he's walking through in life and, and his frustration towards God because God won't take it away. Here's what he says to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 12, he says, look, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I made my case before God, in other words. But he said to me each time, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Paul didn't like God's answer here because each time he asked for this thorn, this issue, this this source of pain in his life to be removed, each time God said, no, no, no. He got denied three times. And, and you see, sometimes, sometimes we don't get what we want because what we want isn't what we need at that point in our story. That's a tough lesson for us. Here's the fourth question. Do you want answers more than you want God? Do you want answers more than you want God? Now, now God didn't totally um, answer Abraham's request to spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you, if you read on, because he still rained down fire from heaven, his judgment came upon the city, but he did spare Abraham's family. He did spare Lot, his nephew. Now, what's interesting is that the Bible later says that Abraham's relationship with God was kind of like a friendship. Right? That they had this close relationship, and like any relationship that you and I have in life, right? It requires. Communication requires connection. Any relationship that's worth investing in, that's worth developing, it requires uh, honest conversations from time to time. And so if you don't know how to pray, for it's been a long time since you have prayed, you can just start by by just talking to God about what's going on, what what you've been thinking about lately. What what are you scared of? What are you excited about in life? What are you maybe grateful for? Start voicing some of those thoughts out loud and picture yourself actually talking to the creator God because the truth is whether you know it or not, he, he hears you in that moment. Now for Savannah and I, my wife, for us to have a good healthy marriage, I've learned that it requires two kinds of communication on our part. All right, the first kind of communication is, is we have to set some time aside every now and then to, to have uninterrupted dialogue. Maybe that's a date, maybe that's a night away somewhere or it's a trip together, okay? These are those moments when, when we get really deep with each other and we find out how each other are really doing and, and we learn more about each other in those moments. But you see, we wouldn't have a good marriage if I only relied upon those infrequent moments to kind of further and deepen our relationship, right? No, for us to stay married and, and, a, and be in a good place, it requires frequent t- touch points throughout the day. We might text each other. We always talk at the end of the day. When I come home from work, we sit on the couch. We ask each other about our days. There's a reason why communication is really the number one issue in marriages today. And I think the same could be said between us and God. And so what would it look like for you to view your relationship with God in a similar way? Have those moments where Every now and then, you, you get away and you just have some uninterrupted time with him. You take the Bible with him. You use the word of God to trigger prayers in you, to trigger thoughts, or maybe to allow it, to use it, to, to form some prayers in you. But also, invite God to be a part of your day. He cares about your day. Lord, help me to have discernment and wisdom as I, lead, as I walk into this meeting. God, would you please rain down your wrath upon my boss? I can't stand him, all right? Those... Frequent touch points are really important to stay connected. And that's what it looks like to to have a a growing relationship with him. Now here's the fifth question and last question I wanna challenge us with, it goes like this. Are you willing to be the solution for what you're asking? Are you willing to be the solution for for what you're asking? Abraham made it clear to God that that he wasn't just asking God to do something. No, he offered to be a part of the solution by saying, God, would, would you spare the city if I find 10 righteous people? He didn't just say, hey God, please, please allow your mercy and grace to fall over Sodom and Gomorrah. No, he offered to be a part of the solution. You see, you pray differently when you make yourself part of the solution. You see, in a lot of instances, we can be the answer to what we're praying for, I mean, what if a requirement for something that you're praying about was a willingness to be the answer to what you're wanting or what you're seeking? You see, there's a difference between praying for something and and praying through something. Praying for something is asking that, that God or someone be the answer to what you're asking. And that's certainly appropriate at certain moments in time. But praying through something is a journey of persistent ongoing prayer. All right, and in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to actually pray through something really exciting uh, as a church over the next six weeks, okay? But before we do that, I just want to share with you one little way that I'm trying to be a part of the solution here. All right, now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you don't call Crossroads home, this really isn't for you. You can tune me out right now, okay? This is for those of us who, who are believers, who call this place home, all right? Now, Right now, uh, as a staff, it's budget season uh, for us as a church. And we're trying to project expenses over the next year or so and how we anticipate God moving and how we want him uh, to to move. And and as the person who's ultimately responsible for the direction of this church, I never want our vision as a church to be determined and confined to, to a budget, okay? I want us to dream such big dreams and have such great visions that if and only if it happens, only God can get credit for it. But the reality is we are a large organization that employs over 80 employees and we have partners and and churches all across uh, the nation, all across the world that is dependent upon our financial support, all right? Therefore, finances are essential. And just to be really straight with you, we totally rely upon everyone's generosity here in order to function. Now, over the past two or three months, uh, giving has, has declined a little bit. That's completely normal. So does attendance during the summer months. People are away, on vacation, whatever. That's not an unusual trend for this time of year. But I do wanna be really clear about something. All right, God is gonna continue writing our story here at Crossroads. And, and you know what? There's a role for all of us to play. And I want you to be a part of of our future because I really believe that our best days are for us as we seek to take the message of Jesus, the hope of Christ, and turn the tri-state area upside down for him. You see, I believe so much in our vision. I believe so much in our vision that my wife, Savannah, and I actually give above and beyond 10% of our income back to the church. Now, don't be impressed by that whatsoever, because here's the thing. Leaders go first, and if I'm not leading by example, then I'm not leading and I'm not worth following. That's how much I believe in our vision here. And so for you to be a part of this story, it requires, it requires that we all contribute. Our time, our, our resources and saying, hey, we're in this together. Now I know that there, there's been a lot of change this past year in transition and maybe you don't agree with a lot of the changes uh, that, that we've made and I want you to know, join the club, all right? I don't either. But I've learned that that's actually a good thing that I don't agree with everything around here because that means if I did agree with everything, then over time, Crossroads would be a church full of people who are just like me and that would be really scary, wouldn't it? (laughs) And so that means that that we have the potential to reach people who aren't like us, so, so that's a good thing. Now, I've made mistakes as a leader and I'm going to continue to, to, to improve and get better and, and to, to keep those mistakes in front of, in, in front of you and, and to be honest and open. But I want you to be a part of this journey. We, we need you. All right, Six weeks from now, we're launching Crossroads West. And we are pumped about this. But this is going to be an opportunity for all of us to pray through the launch of this campus. So here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to pull out your phone right now. And every day for the next six weeks, I want you to set a reminder to pray through the launch of of Crossroads West. Pray for our volunteers, pray for the community that they would know Jesus more, okay? Now, if you want something more specific to pray for, uh, simply uh, go to one of our social media sites, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, like that, follow us. And uh, each week we are gonna give something very specific for you to pray about in terms of Crossroads West. What would it look like for us to pray on behalf of the west side of Evansville, just like Abraham stood between God and Sodom and Gomorrah. What would it look like if an army rose up and we actually believed that God was gonna do something amazing? Our best days are before us. And let's not be surprised when God does something amazing because we asked him to do it. All right? Let me pray for us, and then uh, uh, we're gonna keep going. Let's pray. God, I love what you're doing in this place. I'm even more fired up about our future than ever before, believing God that more and more lives and generations of families are gonna be changed. And Father, the the truth is you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. You don't need us, you're the God of all creation, you are sovereign, but you do let us play a part. And so Lord, help us to, to see what that part is, help us to know you more and to realize that you don't see the things that we see in ourselves, because the cross covered all that, because of Jesus. We, We can come to you anytime, anywhere. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.